want to welcome you tonight if you're visiting with us. We're delighted that you're here. This is our midweek service. And I want to also remind you that we're engaged in a year-long study, probably a little more than that, here in this amazing book, the book of Revelation. And the book of Revelation, for a vast majority of its content, contains things that are still yet future. And it is so important for us as the body of Christ to remember that what we are now studying, there is no reason for anyone in this room to ever go through. There is also that great hope of heaven that we have to share with the world that is the source of that vigor with which we share the gospel. Because we surely don't want anybody we know going through these things. And so sometimes people will say, well, you know, the, the book of Revelation, you know, when you get to the tribulation, it's kind of a, it's kind of a, it's a downer. Well, it's a downer for a reason for those who don't know the Lord. It's literally supposed to scare the hell out of you. It, it's to cause you to come to that place. You know, I'd really like to skip that part if I possibly could. And so don't miss the message. Because God in his wonderful and marvelous grace has told us what the last days look, look, look like. And so tonight... We pick up this second rider of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. The second seal will be peeled open. Remember, these seals are sequential. One must be opened before the next one, and so on and so forth until the seventh seal. And then we begin with the bowl judgments, the trumpet judgments thereafter. And so the Lord has kind of given us these things just a little bit at a time. And tonight we'll pick up in verse 3, just verse 3 and 4, and the red horse, as we study his word, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful uh, for your word and how it speaks to us. Lord, how we can then look at our world, look at what's going on around us, and ask ourselves some very simple and yet pointed questions. If these things are how it's going to be when the end draws near, then how near are we? Lord, it causes us to be excited about sharing our faith. It causes us to know that time is short. It causes us to live expectantly. And so we pray that you would bless us with your presence by your spirit tonight in this place. Instruct us as we study. We pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Verse 3 here in Revelation 6. And now the second, the red horse of the apocalypse. And when he opened the second seal... And so you can see, again, remind yourself of how this is. If you were to take a scroll and you unroll it completely, and as you seal it, you seal it from the end with the seventh seal, and then roll it a bit, and the sixth seal, and roll it a bit more, and the fifth, and so on, until you get to the first. The first seal pops open, and here's the Antichrist. This ruler that will come on the world scene, who will bring a peace treaty with Israel, allow the temple to be built, and now he opens the second seal. So the Antichrist has been on the scene. He's made that peace treaty. And I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. And so remember, the living creatures gathered around the, around the throne, undoubtedly the cherubim, the angelic beings. They're, they're the praise team, if you will, in heaven. They've been leading uh, the children that have been gathered together around the throne, the 24 elders, and praising the Lord. And so this 
One being comes from amongst the four and says, Come and see, another horse, fiery and red, went out. And it was granted that the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. Now what did the Antichrist bring? He brought peace. He came as a conqueror with a bow with no arrows. He says, look, I I have the capacity. Remember back when President Nixon uh, with Leonid Brezhnev began to put forth the peace accords and they called it detente. It would be that peace that would come without warfare. And into what we called the Cold War. It would finally come 1989 to 1991 with the breakup of the Soviet Union. And from that day to this, things have not gotten appreciably better. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. That people should kill one another. And that there was given to him a great sword. As we read these things, we must ask ourselves some very important questions. Because as we look at them, uh, the beginning of this peace accord with the Antichrist seems like it's going to be something good. And that has been the history of mankind. There have been empty promises made of peace. And the, the world yearns for that peace today. And the world attempts to bring about that peace through civil discourse, through peace treaties, we're engaged currently in what I believe is a, a tragic mistake in a peace treaty with Iran that jeopardizes the nation Israel, jeopardizes really the totality of peace in the Middle East. But our Bible says these things will be so. And we'll get to that a little bit later tonight. And I'm absolutely sure that Amir will fill in some details for you. A little bit about him. Uh, He was a member of the IDF. He rose to the rank of captain. Uh, He was then the first mayor, uh, which we would call really a governor, but the area is so so small. He was the assistant uh, to the prime minister in the region of Jericho in the West Bank. And so he knows firsthand very well what's going on in the Middle East. And so as we look at these things, the white horse rises up and brings peace to national Israel. And then that week that Daniel chapter 9 verse 27 says will be a week of years, those seven years begin, God's prophetic calendar assigned to national Israel begins. And remember it has a plan, it has a purpose, there's a reason for it. The easiest way to see it quickly is to simply read Joel chapter 2 and chapter 3. And as you read it, you realize that God has always had a plan to bring national Israel to Messiah. That they would understand who their king really is. And that they would believe and that they would receive the same grace that you and I have received in this age of grace. And so that peace treaty begins... In this amazing book, we actually have a a timeline for the tribulation. You can look at it this way. It's divided rather uniquely into three parts. And here in the first three and a half years of the tribulation is really what's contained in Revelation chapter 6 through 9. The events that take place in the middle of the tribulation period are described in chapters 10 through 14. And then finally, 
when the world becomes as bad as it will ever get. You see that description there in Revelation chapter 15 to 19. And so these horsemen really are the harbingers. They bring forth a picture, uh, at least in a, in a very condensed way, of these periods of time that will unfold as the tribulation plays out. A period of time that will last seven years in totality, but a period of time that will bring unprecedented events like the world has never seen. And again, it's so important, read those first second uh, chapter 2, chapter 3 in the book of Joel, and you'll see the phrase, like have never happened before, nor will ever happen again. They're global in their scope. And when we think of our world history, we can think back on all kinds of very catastrophic events. Wars, rumors of wars, and sometimes people will say, well, we've had wars and rumors of wars forever. But when you think of what the book of Revelation really puts forth, it's talking about things that have never happened. Even World War II really affected a small portion of the continent of Europe, Asia. It didn't spread very far. If you look at it on a map, it took part of North Africa, most of what we would call the European Union today, some of Russia, a little bit of Asia, but not much more than that. It certainly did not take up even all of Russia. It encompassed both portions of what ended up being Germany and East Germany. Poland actually began when Adolf Hitler invaded the Sudetenland, the southern lands of Poland. Assassination of Archduke Ferdinand. And so from that, nearly a half million people from here in our country lost their lives. But nothing like what's being described in the book of Revelation, as horrific as that was, has anybody else talked about these things? Turn, if you would, to Matthew chapter 24. A correlation that's often missed, and yet Jesus so very clearly, very concisely, spoke of these same four horsemen as he delivered what we know as the Olivet Discourse. Matthew chapter 24. The theme of that discourse is the tribulation, so God can deal uh, with the wayward Jewish people and with all of mankind for its sin and for what it had done to Israel and what it continues to this day to do to Israel and what it's done with the land that was given to Israel that belongs to God. Again, Joel chapters 2 and 3. It's God's land. He gave it to Israel. It was theirs as a perpetual inheritance. It's their land because God gave it to them because it was his land. And so as we force Israel to give away land, we're really going against what God said to them. We're actually fighting God. And so as much as people don't like it for the political implications, the plain truth of the matter is, is if you are a believer in Jesus Christ as Lord, you must also be a supporter of Israel. There is no other position to hold. Scripture is clear. You cannot be, you cannot be against Israel and before God. 
It's not possible. Because he's for them. Doesn't make everything they do right. Doesn't make every decision that they make the right decision. But the land is God's. He gave it to Israel. So Jesus, as he begins this message, and it's a, it's a rather lengthy one, and I want to look at a good chunk of it tonight. Jesus is asked a question by his disciples in verse 3 of Matthew chapter 24. And he gives then a remarkable explanation that if you look at it, you'll see very clearly these same four horsemen. Matthew 24 and verse 1. The question will come up in verse 3. And then Jesus went out and departed from the temple. He'd been teaching there. And his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And if you travel to Jerusalem, and as you're standing on the Temple Mount, as you cross across uh, the brook Kidron, and you travel to the east, you go up the slopes of the Mount of Olives, you travel to the top of the Mount of Olives, you are looking down on the Temple Mount. And at that time, Herod's temple stood glistening in the sun on the Temple Mount on the southern end. Very imposing structure. One of the largest structures in the ancient world. And so here the Temple Mount has the temple on it. And he's looking straight down on them, barely a quarter mile away as the crow flies. So he is looking at this massive temple compound the gleaming gold that is gilded on that building from Herod's construction project. And Jesus said to them, Do you see all these things? He could have just waited. Look, it's right there. There it is. Do you see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now fast forward 2,000 years to today. If you travel, you will see there is not one stone left at top of one another that has not been thrown down. And in fact, you can see the piles of stones at the base of the wall. The Roman general Titus, who would ultimately become the emperor besieges Jerusalem, destroys the temple in AD 70, just some 37 years later. And from that day to this, there has been no temple on the Temple Mount. And yet your Bible says that the Antichrist will one day set himself up in the temple in Jerusalem. So it means that from that time to this, when there's not been a temple, there's also not been a chance for these things to have happened. Because there has to be a temple for the Antichrist to allow himself to be worshipped by the Jewish people in the temple in Jerusalem. And so Jesus says to them, it's going to be vacated. And now as he sat down on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, man, we're confused. That's an awful big building there and you're telling us it isn't going to be there. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And notice how they finish the question and the end of the age. What age? The age of grace. When will it come? When will it happen? 
In response to that question, Jesus continues. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you. Take heed that no one deceives you. Take heed that you're not in the group that's going to be deceived, because they will be deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places, and all of these are the beginning of sorrows. They are simply the birth pangs. They're the labor pains of the very last days. For those of you who are in here and you are ladies and you have had children, once the labor pains begin, there is no stopping what's coming next. Amen? Your hubby can say, well, honey, just hang on. (laughs) I remember when our second son was about to be born, we were blasting down the mountain from up in Running Springs heading towards St. Bernadine's Hospital, which is about 23 miles away and about a vertical mile down. And I'm... Now, please, do not have the... I don't want to deliver my own son in a turnout. Hang on, honey. It didn't make the labor pains stop in intensity or in frequency. By the time we got there, I didn't have time to to get a glass of water before we had a second son. Over, done. The beginning of sorrows. And then they will deliver you up the tribulation and kill you. These are the disciples, by the way. And you will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. Are we not his disciples? And are we not hated by all the nations for his name's sake? Just get rid of the, you know, those rotten Christians. They are messing everything up. That's the cry. That is the plea of our day. Well, if you just get rid of this whole, you know, Jesus thing, because you're awful exclusive, I myself personally have been called a bigot. Because I've said, you know what, Scripture says there's only one name under heaven whereby you can be saved. So all of your religious beliefs can't get you there. And boy, when you say that, you, you make enemies with a pretty good chunk of the world. And then many will be offended. <laughs> you think? And will betray one another and hate one another. Have you seen what's going on in the church today? Well, you know, those fundamentalist conservative Christians... You know, they actually believe that Bible. They honestly think that what it says it means, and what it means it says. They're actually supposed to do it. 
And then, many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. You look at the world today, it is filled with false prophets. False gospels, false teaching. Even some of the once staunchest defenders of biblical truth have gone by the wayside of error and now preach that scripture is not to be taken literally. What a sad day. And because lawlessness will abound, oh my goodness. Lawlessness will abound. Listen to these things. And then think about your world. And think about where we are. Think about where the hands on the clock now lie. And the love of many will grow cold. Anybody else tired of the tragic lovelessness of our day and time? Another article, another family senselessly murdered today. I remember growing up that you rarely heard ever about a murder. When I was a child, I I can't honestly say that in a given year I ever heard of more than a handful. And now it seems like it's an hourly occurrence, so much so that currently someone is murdered in the United States of America every 37 seconds. Crazy. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the world as witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. So what was Jesus getting at? You can see it. It's very clear. There in verse 5, you can see that there will be many who will come, and specifically one who will come, the rider on the white horse, the Antichrist, saying, look, I'm the Christ, I'm the Savior of the world. I can take care of these problems. I'll bring peace. You can also see the red horse, which we're looking at tonight, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. The only difference is when the red rider finally rides out, the wars will actually begin to happen. The third rider will eventually come on the scene. That word there that's recorded for us in Matthew chapter 7, which we see as as nation, or Matthew 24 verse 7, we see as as nation, it rises up against nation. It actually is, is a poor rendering. And it's hard to translate because it's actually the Greek word ethnos. From it, we obviously get ethnicity. And so there's some very specific things that are being said there that ultimately is going to come down to some very specific ethnic breakdowns. Ezekiel 38, and Amir will share on that with us when he's here, uh, is exactly that ethnic war. Because it will be largely, ultimately, Arabs against Jews. Led by Russia. (coughs) The third horse, famine. 
what normally follows after radical warfare. A shortage of everything. The famines will come. Severe lack of food. Crops are destroyed. The farming infrastructure destroyed. Roads so that the goods can't get from one part of the country to the next. That pale green rider, right? The black rider rides out. And then finally the pale green, the the thing that follows after all of that, when you've had war, when you've had famine, disease is shortly on its heels. And so Jesus himself gave us a picture of these four horsemen. And so what we have here, as we look at these few verses tonight, here in Revelation 6, is something that's going to occur when the Holy Spirit is finally removed from the scene, when the church is gone. Because right now that restraining force, as weak as it may be, as as prone to failure as it may be, really is the body of Christ. It's Christians all over the world. No matter how messed up their doctrine may be, no matter how little understanding they have into certain aspects of, of what the Bible plainly teaches, it is largely the Christian nations of the world that are holding back this force of evil. People can say what they want, but when you look at the world, name one other nation that spread democracy in our time. There isn't one. Name another nation that's come, come to the rescue of any other nation and followed it all the way through at the cost of blood and treasure. There isn't one. It's us. Other nations have helped, but who's borne the cost? It's the nation whose motto is in God we trust. And yet even now our nation is saying, well, maybe not so much. Do we really have to have one nation under God, indivisible? Can we leave the God part out? And so unbridled war comes on the scene. And we live in an age of war and conflict. And since the Second World War, imagine this, just since the Second World War, there have been a little over 150 wars of one kind or another. Right now there are some three dozen armed conflicts that are taking thousands of lives annually, ongoing right now today. Sudan itself has four of them. Four different wars going on in one nation. So the Antichrist comes out and establishes peace, and now the second rider just simply comes and snatches that peace away. Because it's going to be a fragile peace. It's going to be a fake peace. It's not going to be a peace that's based on the Prince of Peace. It will be a peace that's done by political treaty. And I believe that ultimately the power behind all of this, I believe, uh, will in fact be Russia. And I get that primarily from Ezekiel 38 and 39. And I don't want to steal... Uh, my brother Amir's thunder, so I will touch that lightly tonight. You see, as we look at these things, the last couple of thousand years, uh, we have been pretty destructive to the rest of humankind, amen? Mankind hasn't exactly been good to itself in that regard. Think about what's gone on in the last couple of thousand years. We just celebrated... Uh, a horrific anniversary. And that anniversary was the, the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan. 
Yes, it effectively brought an end uh, to at least the Pacific theater of of the Second World War, but at what cost? Horrific. Mind-boggling. But I want to share something with you by, by way of understanding that mankind didn't learn a thing. We really learned very little from the tragedy of the Second World War. A man named Takashi Nagai was witness to the atomic bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki. And in his memoirs, he said, I watched and two things that looked like great big hideous lizards crawled out slowly, making croaking and groaning sounds, and others followed, and I was paralyzed with horror for minutes, and then the light got a little stronger, and I could see that they were human beings skinned alive by fire and heat. Their bodies were smashed to bits as they were thrown against buildings. That's pretty horrific. Hard to believe. That atomic weapon that was dropped, Batman, was a 20 kiloton nuclear weapon. In other words, it's equivalent of 2,000 tons of TNT and explosive force. The current smallest yield nuclear weapon that the United States has in its arsenal is almost 200 times more powerful than that. The smallest one. Furthermore, they're generally coupled with at least seven other warheads of exactly the same destructive power stuck on top of a Trident II missile and then put in a nuclear submarine. Those SSBNs, those ballistic submarines that now travel around the world completely undetectable at depths that basically are indefensible by any nation have two rockets per launch tube, that's 24. Each of them, by treaty, is supposed to carry eight. Eight of those nuclear weapons, each of them independently targetable. One submarine holds the destructive force of over ten times the total destruction of every piece of ordnance that was dropped during World War II. And we don't have the biggest batch of them. Russia does. So when you think about the world and you think about where we are on the timeline and you realize as horrific as the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki were, we don't even have the capacity to limit the destruction of a single nuclear weapon to anything less than 10 times the destruction of both bombs if we let go one warhead from the 8 to 12 in one missile in one tube on one submarine. We have 11 of those submarines. Russia has more. Why am I telling you this? Because the world is a very dangerous place. And thus far, the Holy Spirit has restrained that evil. We haven't had a single dictator rise on the scene that rose to the level of an Adolf Hitler, 
a Benito Mussolini, a Pol Pot, that's been able to get his finger on the technology that would unleash that destructive power. Because by and large, God has used the United States of America and even in our weakened Christian state, our Christian set of moral values. Now imagine that that Christian set of moral values no longer exists. The world is a really dangerous place. Have you ever seen the movie The Hunt for Red October? It's not all that far-fetched. All it takes is a rogue sub-commander. All he needs is the launch codes and a key. That's it. And the world as we know it is forever altered. So as this judgment begins to come to pass, the Russians back in the 1960s detonated what was the largest hydrogen bomb ever detonated, the Tsar Bomba. It was equivalent to 20,000 times the size of the bomb that we dropped on Nagasaki. Crazy. So when people say, oh, that could never happen. War like this could never ensue. Ask yourself a simple question. What's keeping it from happening? And I believe it's God's grace. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7 says this, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, speaking of the world in which we live. And boy, isn't that true. You think about what's been going on. There's a legal battle going on right now in the state of Nevada over some property that's adjacent to what was formerly the Nellis Test Range where we detonated uh, over 150 nuclear weapons during the 1950s and 60s. There's the mystery of lawlessness that's already at work. There's the capacity that mankind has to alter the landscape of the world literally overnight. Overnight. Only he who now restrains will do so until, notice, he, that he is the Holy Spirit, third person of the Trinity, also God, until he is taken out of the way. That red rider right now could be doing the warm-up laps. Could be kind of getting in a few test gallops. So the Holy Spirit restraining that evil. And even though we have an emphasis, and, and that is really the reason, ultimately, that the UN was founded. It was to try and bring sense in a senseless world. To try and bring peace to a world that doesn't really lend itself well to peace. And when you look back at the history of mankind... The first, the first capital crime committed in our world was Cain and Abel, amen? Wasn't that murder? 
hated his brother in his heart. That hasn't changed. We've seen it recently. The shooting of innocent people all over our country. Staggering. The unrest that exists in our neighborhoods. The horrific pain that it causes every single day. It's not a peaceful world. Your Bible says that one day it's going to all come unglued. The Antichrist will bring a false peace, and then the true colors of mankind will come out. Isn't it interesting? When you look back and if you read the history, especially of the Second World War, how many people seeing, seeing an opportunity to get rich did so at the expense of those who were being, in essence, brutally murdered? That's where mankind is. Still is. Senseless shootings on street corners are an evidence of the same thing. Everything from rogue law enforcement officers to the parent who no longer wants their child. To us using any means necessary to accomplish the purposes that we think are going to bring about peace. Red horse as he rides out following the white horse brings what is really already here. It's hidden in the heart of mankind. As we read the stories of people who thought they were going to a baseball game and end up in an intensive care ward because they were wearing the wrong jersey. A young person who's standing on a street corner wearing the wrong color shirt that's killed because they were in the wrong place at the wrong time and somebody didn't have something better to do with their time than take a human life. Our world's pretty messed up. And God's only going to let it go for so long and then he's going to remove the Holy Spirit for a time. Mankind will become what it was desiring to be for millennia. Zechariah chapter 6, if you want to turn there. You see, because we really do have some fairly war-prone hearts. It's part of the Jewish Tanakh, the Old Testament. But the Jews understood this to speak of the last days. In verse 1 in Zechariah chapter 6, it says, And I turned and raised my eyes and looked, and behold, four chariots were coming from between two mountains, and the mountains were made of bronze. Here's to be speaking of world empires, and the first chariot were red horses, with the second chariot black horses, the third chariot white, and it actually says white, but it really says pale, and the fourth were dappled. In other words, they were pockmarked, white and black, strong steeds. And then I answered and said to the angels who talked with me, What are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said to me, These are the four spirits of heaven that go out from their station before the Lord of all the earth. 
And the one with the black horses is going to the north country, and the white is going after them. The dappled are going towards the south. Strong steeds that went out. They were eager to go. So Zechariah picking up another picture of heavenly events affecting the earth and its power. The word translated here, red, in Zechariah is the Hebrew word Adam, which means red or rosy. And I believe that red rider is winding up right now. And I don't want to overemphasize the point that Russia has been on the rise for a very, very, very long time. And before that, the Holy Spirit is going to be taken out of the way. As the church is raptured and, and removed from its place in the world, no longer that influence of the Holy Spirit in us, that thing that happens to each of us. When we come to Christ, the Holy Spirit is given to us as a guarantee, as a promise that the Lord one day is going to come for us and, and bring us back into his kingdom. And once the Holy Spirit's taken out, the, the world's value system radically changes. You think about looking at the world and how it now is stationed. I think the world would actually welcome the removal of Christianity. Right now, tonight. By and large, people that even claim to be Christians no longer actually walk in the Spirit. They aren't shedding salt and light where they go. They're almost as dark as anybody who doesn't know the Lord. And so when the church, the real church, the true church, the Bible-believing, Christ-honoring, Bible-teaching church, when that church is removed... If you look at what's been going on, even in our state, who's been in the forefront of some of these social battles saying, look, this is ridiculous. God's word says thus and so, and that's how we ought to live our lives. That's the moral restraint. You can't leave it to Hollywood, that's for sure. Amen? You're not going to get your morality from Hollywood to match what the Bible says. That is an absolute fact. If you think that's true, we need to talk after service. The world has a different morality. The world has a different value of life. How can you claim to be doing God's work when you put 50 children inside of a cage, cover them with gasoline, and light them on fire? And do it in the name of God. They happen to call him Allah. But nonetheless, as far as they're concerned, that's God. How can you behead innocent journalists? How can you chain people to rocks and then drop them into a river so that they're standing at the low flood tidal stage in an estuary and their head is above the water and watch the tide roll in and then pull off their own arms trying to get free. Man's pretty evil. But it's going to get worse. What nations do we have on this earth that are 
seeking to create a world empire? Well, I can tell you one, and it's Iran. Their goal is to create a worldwide caliphate. And anybody that says differently does not understand what they have plainly said. Their goal is to create a worldwide caliphate where Sharia law is the law. And in fact, so prevalent is that thinking that in Europe it already exists in places. And so this humanitarian crisis that's being faced by Europe even tonight, tens of thousands, now hundreds of thousands of refugees, all of whom, by the way, for the most part, are Muslim, are pouring into Europe. France has already capitulated and allowed Sharia law in some neighborhoods. England has done the same thing. And so honor killings, it's what Sharia law allows for. You don't like what somebody does? You don't have to do what the law of the land says. You can do what your local imam tells you to do. Time for the world to wake up. Having said that, does that mean that every Muslim person is evil? Of course not. Of course not. But it does mean that when you look at Ezekiel 38 and 39 what your Bible says will happen in the last days is there will be a consortium of Muslim nations that will rise up, band together, and as they band together under the leadership of undoubtedly Russia, they will come against Israel. In the lead will be Persia. And they're pretty easy to understand who Persia is because until 1973 they were still called Persia. There today, called Iran. And so when those nations gather together and they come against Israel, the Antichrist is going to go, look, I can stop this. But it won't change the hearts of mankind because he's a false Christ, just as Jesus said. Those circumstances will grow worse until ultimately... War will break out. Ezekiel 38 and 39 describes this leadership, this leader Gog and his country Magog as being at the head of all of these things. Goes on to describe who that is. Names the capitals uh, of those provinces. Muscovy, Tbilisk, all former parts of what we now know as Russia. And says they'll join together. Very few Americans actually know the purpose that the Chinese built the Great Wall of China. Most Americans have no idea that it's also uh, 13,370 miles long. It was to keep the Russians out. And it was called at that time the Ramparts of Magog. They've had a thirst for conquest for quite some time. And under the current leader, Vladimir Putin, they are absolutely 
on the rise. Russia in the last days appears to play a pivotal role in drawing together all of these nations that will eventually come against Israel. One of the things that we often overlook in the breakup of the former Soviet Socialist Republic is that instantaneously, almost overnight, four nuclear-armed nations were created. You don't think about it, except in the context of what the old Soviet Union used to be. At the time when it broke up, they had somewhere in the neighborhood of 30,000 nuclear weapons. Right now, over 27,000 of those are unaccounted for. They're in Ukraine, Chechnya, Bulgaria, scattered all over the place. We don't even know where most of them are. The world is a dangerous place. As the Iran nuclear deal has unfolded, this, just this week, actually just four days ago, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu called the recent permanent Iran nuclear deal, which today was filibustered by the Senate, attempting to stop it. He said it's a bad mistake of historic proportions. He said this agreement with the Islamic Republic may well, this is Benjamin Netanyahu, may well usher in the war of Gog and Magog. That's what he said. The Jewish people acknowledge that war. They realize it's ultimately going to happen. And so as that rider rides out, the world is going to come finally unhinged. And all these things that have been building up for, in some cases, centuries, held back as imperfectly as they've been held back, held back by the Holy Spirit, will finally come undone. Good news now. You don't need to be here. Amen? And here's the challenge. You need to make sure that nobody else is here either. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are lost. But to we who believe, it is the power of God unto salvation. Amen? And that's really the message. You know, we have to look at it in that light. God said these things. It's not up, for, up to us to say, well, you know, he's not ever going to do that. It's just too horrible. And unfortunately, I grew up in a denominational church that never taught the truths contained in the book of Revelation because it was considered too controversial. Well, we just don't know. People have been talking about the end times since the end times began. And that's true. Because the end times actually began with Jesus. Remember what the disciples said. Jesus says, look, you see those buildings right there? See the temple? That's going to be tossed into that valley and no stone will be left on top of one another. And he said, here's the things that are going to happen when it really gets close to the end. Those things, apparently, I think rather clearly, are now on the horizon like they've never been before. 
Does that mean that I know that the rapture of the church is, you know, sometime next week? No, I do not, and I am not saying that. But I am saying that from that time to this, if there was this much time then, there's this much time now. The time is short. The day is at hand. No man knows when the Son of God comes. But we do know the times and the seasons. We know what the weather is going to look like. We can go outside and tell it was really hot today. Amen? <laughs> Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Johnny Mountain is, does not need to be consulted. It was hot. <laughs> when you look at the world, it's a mess. Amen? Doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. It's a mess. Capital M. We got crazy people in places of power all over the globe. You know, when the Ayatollah Khomeini stands up and says, today, by the way, that his goal, his personal goal, is to see to it that in 25 years Israel does not exist. He declared that today. He said it in a national speech. I don't have any reason to disbelieve him. It's what they've been pushing for. But my God said, oh, no, you won't. You're going to try. And when they start to try, you can know that we're getting really close to the time when we aren't going to be around. So tell your friends about Jesus. If you don't know him and you're here tonight, I'm here to tell you, you want peace in your life? It's not going to come from a political treaty. It's going to come from the Prince of Peace. Amen? Why don't we stand and we'll pray and have the worship team come back up. Fear not, for wherever thou goest, the Lord thy God is with thee. Amen? No weapon fashioned against you, speaking to the body of Christ, shall prosper. For he has not appointed us unto wrath, but unto salvation. And so as we pray, we pray with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we understand that these things must come. God said they would come. They're going to come. So let's get busy about our Father's business so we can go home. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time tonight. And we ask God that by your Spirit, you would convince and convict of righteousness. God, pray that we would live our lives with reckless and wholly abandoned for you and God I pray that there's anyone here tonight maybe this has struck a chord in them perhaps they're a little fearful Lord perfect love cast out all fear Lord you Jesus haven't come to give us a spirit of fear but you've given us the heart of adoption to cry out Abba Father and so Lord we know that we can just simply put our faith and trust and our hope in you and whether we take our last breath tonight or whether we're taken up in the rapture to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord and so we have that peace tonight who believe in you and God we ask that you would just share that message with the hearts of anyone who's here tonight that does not yet know you God they wouldn't exit this building without first gaining that peace that surpasses our own human understanding that guards our heart and our mind in you Jesus we love you Lord we thank you for tonight 
Pray that you would bless us with your presence in our lives. Lord, give us purpose and meaning. Give us joy, Lord, even in the midst of trial. But we have joy. Lord, knowing that one day this earthly travail will be over and we'll be home in heaven with you. We bless you. We praise you. We thank you. And God's people all said,